When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. anybody's question but yours you're an idiot and really a disloyal person hello everyone and welcome to the disloyal idiots podcast here on the fans first sports network i'm christian guzman joined by andy predator as we talk about all things syracuse orange related especially now that fall ball is going and as we hope that syracuse's season does not get decided by one millimeter andy how you doing Listen, before we even get into the soccer, the answer is you play better in your opening three games, so you play South Africa instead of Sweden. But, you know, that's just is that just me being a little bit uh, too picky about things. No, beca- no, no because, no. you know, score, scoring goals makes, you know, a sense. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of it's uh, anyways, I, it's I get it. I get it. I get why this is ha- why this happened for the team. Um but I am slightly annoyed that uh, we might come out of this Women's World Cup and talk about all the wrong things when it comes to this team. But it doesn't matter because we are not a soccer podcast as much as we try to be. Uh, we are, in fact, a Syracuse sports podcast. So naturally, we are going to talk about the Pac-12 uh, to open things off here. Isn't that right? You mean the Pac-5? Uh, I mean the pack we need to desperately figure out our shit in the next 12 months. It's the the pack Apple. Uh, I don't know (laughs) if that Apple deal is going to be around for next year. Um, for those that I highly doubt it also. For those who might be living under a rock, uh, news broke this weekend that the pack 12 is going to do what is essentially the cultural bowl equivalent of an Irish wake. Uh, they have been raided by the Big uh, Big Ten and the Pack, or and sorry, and the Big Twelve uh, for most of their member schools of note. Uh, the wave of co- uh, conference realignment has begun, in the sense that this was a conference that showed weakness with their inability to get a TV deal over the line in a timely fashion, and their member schools wanted financial stability. So I think the natural question in this setting is what does this mean for Syracuse? And what it doesn't mean is that the ACC is falling apart anytime soon. No matter what Florida state tries to do, the grant of rights is uh, one of the best written legal contracts in the history of mankind uh, in the fact that it is incredibly difficult to find a way out that doesn't involve paying half of a Saudi uh, payroll in order to break said grant of rights if you're Florida State or Clemson. Well. And we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> uh, but the, the general idea is that the ACC and Syracuse is set until at least 2030. Um, we've seen that with most of these conference realignment deals or uh, abdications that schools are doing, they usually take about three years um, to be in the works. I think a lot of the uh, the news about the, the current situation with the Pac-12, we're seeing that the timeline roughly r- matches up for when those university presidents and athletic directors started seriously considering their moves. Um, so for Syracuse and the ACC, 
it might seem like there's a pressure to do a move now. There's not because of the grant of rights. They're they're pretty in there. Uh, but yeah, Christian, I guess I guess we kind of just jokingly alluded to it. At, at this point, it would take something like the Saudi deciding to essentially front Florida State the money and become the equivalent of that shady dude who loans you money uh in order for florida state to actually leave but it it does appear as if the acc is in this weird spot where addition doesn't necessarily make sense based off of the schools that are available to add but it does feel weird to just sit on your hands and do nothing as the sport fundamentally changes around you it's also really tough because unlike the big 10 and the big 12 the ACC is an Eastern conference. It's all of their schools are in the Eastern time zone. And so, yes, while the moves to add the Pac-12 teams are a little bit weird from the Big Ten and Big 12 in terms, in terms of just location, it makes it even less so for the ACC just in terms of that location as well. And we've already seen a number of the Olympic sport athletes from the schools that are leaving the Pac-12 come out and just talk about the logistical problems that they're going to have with their families and trying to, you know, support their, you know, um, their children and watching their games and supporting their games um, wherever they go. And so in that case, while the ACC may have wanted to add an Oregon or Washington based on what was all happening around, like it makes a little bit less sense location-wise than it would for the Big Ten or the Big 12, and which leaves Syracuse in that position, not Syracuse, at least the ACC in that position where you really do have to kind of stick with the Eastern schools. And what we know about the ACC as well is that the conference in general is going to only add schools that have similar academic integrity. Uh, not Integrity is not the right word but similar academic rigor to its um, other member institutions. And so that your point being there's not that many great schools out there that the ACC might want to add is basically because of that strict academic rigor that ACC schools want to have their members hold up to it in a standard. And Yeah, I I think we're in this very weird position where the ACC is the last conference – with a true identity beyond being good at football. Like the SEC is definitely regionalized more so than any other league. And it is based entirely around football success, hence adding Oklahoma and Texas and expanding that footprint into the South Midwest area, depending on how granular you want to be with your geographic designations of this country. Um, But the the thing with the ACC having this additional standard that it wants to add to, I think a lot of people are looking at it as a detriment to their addition. But uh, I spent a lot of the last few days listening to a lot of college football podcasts, naturally. And one of the things that came up in the Split Zone duo um, is that there's a lot of these schools that are now going to be afterthoughts, not necessarily outside of the Big Ten or the SEC, but inside the Big Ten and the SEC as well. Like, if you're a South Carolina, yes, you're delivering the state of South Carolina to the SEC, but Clemson's the better program, the bigger school, has more uh, has more fans. Uh, if you're a, a Mississippi State, like, why are they keeping both you and Ole Miss around? Like there's uh, Stephen Godfrey was saying that the next round of this isn't going to be more expansion. It's going to be be more uh, consolidation around the Tiffany programs and around the schools that actually drive eyeballs and revenue for the leagues. And so I think if you're the ACC, not necessarily adding right now is not the worst thing in the world because there's still a lot of dominoes to fall from here on out. And yes, that revenue gap is going to continue to grow. But unlike the Big Ten, which is now beholden to 
Fox and NBC's streaming decisions that they make with their own individual platforms. So just letting you know now, when Michigan, Ohio State is put behind the Peacock paywall uh, in 2030 or in 2028, uh, I'm warning, I'm calling it now, just, just saying. Uh, but the but the biggest thing is going to be looking at schools like a Cal and a Stanford. They would make a ton of sense to add to the ACC, but not when they're the only schools on the West Coast. Like, I think you could look at a Rice and a Tulane and say, like, there's a nice way to start expanding your way West, but you're still running into the same issues where a soccer game between Tulane and Syracuse is going to cost you a good chunk of that increased television revenue you're chasing by expansion. Uh, so, so for the ACC expansion doesn't really work unless you can add a bunch of schools all at once that make the logistics of this conference work. And one thing that the ACC has been abundantly clear on is, and maybe it'll be to their detriment is that, it's more than just about football. The ACC cares about the fact that they consistently win national titles in Olympic sports. They care about the fact that basketball in the ACC carries clout and is a national conversation when Duke and North Carolina play each other. Um, these are things that obviously I think we said about the old Big East before the old Big East fell apart because they didn't prioritize football enough. Uh, but I don't think the ACC is in a situation where it's not prioritizing football enough. It's just looking at the football landscape and saying, if the playoff is going to expand, which we expect it to, and the top five conferences automatically get a playoff team, we will, us being the ACC, we will guarantee that our conference champion goes to the playoff every year. If you expand it to 18 teams, or if you expand it to 12 teams, how much of the Big Ten and SEC beat up on each other and knock each other out of that of that system. And we don't know yet. Maybe what will happen, and I think the thing that I'm most scared about as a Syracuse fan, is that if Syracuse has a uh, 10 and two or a 10 and two season in the ACC, how does that stack up against an eight and four season from the Big Ten or the SEC? Does Syracuse and the ACC still get that playoff spot for a, uh, an at-large team? That would that's finishing in the top 10 in most years in the AP and coaches poll? Or do you give it to one of the big two conferences because they're playing helmet school, you know, they're playing helmet recognizable matchups week in and week out for 12 weeks? I and, and the answer and the real answer here is that we don't know. And I kind of like, and this is just me finally putting a bit a pin on this very rambling topic. I actually don't hate the ACC sitting around and waiting to see what happens when that playoff gets expanded, when the SEC deal and the Big Ten deal are expired, before the grant of rights deal even goes uh, up for renegotiation starting in 2030. Like, there are still so many things that we don't know, and there are so many market Now that this sport is, is inexplicably tie, or tied to TV capitalism, which is probably one of the most fickle bubbles out there, like, I don't mind having the stability and saying, like, let's see how this all plays out before we start making and doing crazy things like adding a football game uh, in Stanford, California for, you know, eight times a year. And much and un unlike the uh, situation where the Big East schools fled for the ACC, the there hasn't been this many teams changing conferences this quickly i don't think ever um especially not with how aggressive and how much money tv contracts play into all of the negotiation and realignment that's happening right now and so i i think like you i think that it's not necessarily a bad thing because it we could be in a situation where in a couple of years once all the not even just with the playoff, but once all the alignment has settled down and now that all the new schools are established for not even a year, maybe two years in their new conferences, we could see oversaturation problems that could also benefit the ACC because how are, how also, yes, maybe a quote unquote 10 and two Syracuse record 
doesn't look that great against an eight and four old miss record. But that old miss team may have not played Oklahoma and Auburn and Florida in a season because of the amount of saturation in that schedule. And so maybe the just the amount of teams creates even more headaches that also you got to remember yes there's a, a lot of money going into these contracts but that means there's more money that has to be split to the schools that are now joining these conferences as well and so the percentage of money that all of these schools are getting is going to be eventually less by the time the uh, reported revenue percentage revenue gets increased as a school is more years into a conference. Yeah. I, I think that that's actually a really great point for those that didn't see um, Oregon and Washington in their first year of the big, uh, big 10 are going to be getting an about $30 million in revenue sharing while every other school in the conference is expected to get somewhere North of 90 million per school. And that number is only going up by a million per year for Oregon and Washington until the next deal gets renegotiated um, with the big for with the Big Ten and their TV partners. Uh, that number is lower than the estimated thirty-five million dollar a year payout that the ACC gives to each of its member schools on an annual basis. So, part of the reason why that existed is because obviously Oregon and Washington were desperate because of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten could add them at a rate that is more than most were willing to offer, um, but is still lower than what you see. But I think that that assages a lot of fears for people who are saying, oh, the ACC is going to fall apart if Florida State and Clemson leave. I don't think the Big Ten really wants Florida or Clemson that badly that it is willing to help them pay the half a billion dollars in exit fees on top of giving them the full percentage of revenue sharing every year, which as you're mentioning goes down by adding Clemson and Florida state to the league. So like at least right now, the money is obviously the reason that this is all happening, but the reason that this is happening right now is because the PAC 12 doesn't have any money. This isn't a situation where schools would like to have more money. They already have an obscene amount of money and they would like an even more obscene amount of money the Pac-12 drained its entire <laughs> revenue resources in the failed Pac-12 network uh, experiment, and they did not have a TV deal lined up for uh, next season. And the money that is now being reported as part of that TV deal, which you just posted in our news edition Slack, The Athletic is reporting, it's only $23 million a year per school that most assuredly will not exist for next year now with, these, with this new breakdown. So this is... Comparing the Pac-12 and the ACC is literally comparing apples and oranges uh, because they, no pun intended about the Washington Apple Cup and the and the Orange Bowl. It, it's just fundamentally when we look at the financials of both situations, the Pac-12 was that business that you knew was going to have the, the for rent sign in the window any day now. The ACC is the business that you're looking at and going, well... They're clearly making a profit. They're just not making as much of a profit as the big box stores. And you're assuming that they're going to go out of business. But as we've seen in today's modern age, there's ways for these for these smaller, more localized enterprises to have better revenue margins than the, than the big box stores if they play their cards right. And that is a big, big if caveat that I'm adding to this to this analogy. <laughs> So what you're saying is that the ACC is your typical mom and pop store uh, that is probably selling a better product than some of your major retailers, and the back 12 is Applebee's or Olive Garden. Christian, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a quesadilla, uh, a lukewarm quesadilla burger that is <laughs> Iowa, Oregon on a uh, Saturday night at 10.30 p.m. on Peacock, or would you rather have a Clemson Syracuse at 2.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Well, <laughs> like, hey, in recent years, that game's on ABC. <laughs> fair. I guess I guess it's more of a pit Syracuse on ESPN2, if, if I'm being if I'm being more fair here. That year, that's this year, that's gonna be on the CW. 
<laughs> no, it'll be on the ACC network right in between five different ads for sport sportals or whatever that thing is called. <laughs> oh man. How, how how long we've gone without our needed ACC network random regional ads. I do I will say my wife is somebody who enjoys watching Syracuse sports in the way that uh she likes to know what I'm going to be mad about for the upcoming week. Uh, but the ACC, the, the weird ACC ads do add a weird level of perverse happiness and entertainment in, in uh, watching, you know, Syracuse Colgate. <laughs> and you and that means you haven't brought a tag like yet. I really <laughs> wanted to buy the the Spurtle thing because I was like, that actually looks like it might be helpful. And a lot of our wooden utensils are starting to finally, you know, potentially go after all these years. So stay tuned i might i might join nicole arbach in uh in succumbing to the acc uh advertisements for the fifth time during a syracuse western michigan game this year um but of course i think i think the bow on this whole thing is that the natural conversation talking point that we're getting to right now it's the one that everybody brings up split zone duo brought it up when i was uh listening to their podcast the athletic has mentioned it um pretty much anybody with a pulse uh, who follows college sports is asking when does Syracuse pit um, BC Miami break off and reform the big East uh, in, in some sort of football capacity. And I don't know about you. I don't necessarily want that yet, but I am intrigued by the option. If we really do go down the route where there's only going to be the ACC or the SEC and the big 10. If the ACC is going to die and Syracuse is not going to exist in the big two, I'm fine with the big East, but until then I'd rather stay in the ACC for the knowledge that the money and the athletic and the athletic resources that we get from the ACC right now are far more than what the big East is getting per school. I think the big East TV contract is only something like four or $5 million per school right now. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I think right now, like that's the, the ACC financial, and again, this all goes back to money. But as as we continue to see, the ACC, the move to the ACC, Syracuse, has continued to work out financially better for them than if they stayed in the Big East. I think that's a fair assumption to make, and for all the people who want the Syracuse just in general to go back to the Big East. The money just doesn't make sense, especially now, right at this time, based on where the conferences are, where the schools are, what position that they're in. So if it does, if the ACC does fold, yes, yeah, Syracuse should create a North, should create a, some sort of a Northeast region with Pitt, bring back UConn for all we care, bring back Louisville. Maybe if West Virginia is interested again, you know, why not? But like, hell, if Maryland, feels like they're not getting anywhere in the Big Ten if they want to shout again, sure. But I think it's right now, The unless you're Florida State and you're looking to become Newcastle of America, you don't have that much want or need to move away from the ACC. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Um Wow, right now I'm just taking a look at the Big East. Yeah. Right now the Big East payouts are not exactly. the the right the right money is going up, but we're talking about around oh my goodness. Yeah, it's it's like it's less than like five million per school right now. And, um, and like which let's is, be, yeah, and, and let's be honest, like also like Kevin brings this up on our Slack all the time when people bring up like Syracuse so should go back to the Big East. What would you rather see? Syracuse versus Georgia Tech and Syracuse versus bc right now or syracuse versus wake forest or do you want to see syracuse versus creighton no offense to creighton but like that's not what right like syracuse if you're going back to the big east just because of nostalgia and yukon and st john's there's not much other incentive for syracuse to join the big east back right now Right. And I think the caveat to that is everything is right now. Yeah. Should should things implode and there's more football options and a lot of these schools that we're talking about 
are left in the dark and we're able to create some kind of Northeast corridor of a conference that has football and basketball viability. Absolutely. We, we should re we should investigate bringing that back, but that doesn't exist right now. Um, but unless something magically changes, I think it's pretty clear that Syracuse is going to be the, any, any school that is not a large land grant university is in trouble right now. And Clemson is one of those schools that is not because they're really good at football. Um, and I, the recipe for Syracuse is really simple. Get really good at football or start planning for what, do, what happens to the ACC when the grant of rights becomes affordable to break around 2030. Um, that's, that's what, I don't know if it's going to be John Wildhack making these decisions and, and guiding this vision, but the, the athletic director of Syracuse, that's your situation that you're stuck in right now. <laughs> well, I mean, the getting good at football part, though, is probably the more pressing issue. It is the more pressing issue. And we'll get into what we expect for that coming up right after we give you a word from our sponsor. Homefield Apparel is back sponsoring the Disloyal Idiots podcast. Christian, I decided to do something fun. You're watching the live stream right now. I just came back from a wedding uh, back home, and I came home to this wonderful bag sitting on my porch. Uh, you see it on the stream. It is a bag that says wear one for the team. It is from Homefield. It is my most recent order that I made, and I'm going to open this up to show everybody the amazing, wonderful vintage clothing that you get from Homefield Apparel when you order online from them. They now send, they used to send and wrap everything in like old newspaper, which was pretty cool. Uh, but now they send it to you in this really nice, like waterproof plastic bag because the one time that uh, they sent me something, the FedEx driver, who's probably a UConn fan, dropped it in a puddle outside my house. Uh, so they have, they've learned, they've continually gotten better with their products. And I now am the proud owner of a quarter zip with the old Syracuse logo from the 80s and 90s on it uh this thing is soft as fuck holy shit every time i get something from them <laughs> it's just so soft uh i can't wait to wear this when it finally cools down here in new york um but if you want to be like me and wear wonderful home field apparel clothing and get these fun packages that they send you uh you should head over to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code noons23 n-u-n-e-s two three to get 15% off your first order from home field apparel. Uh, they obviously have a fantastic Syracuse collection. They are also uh, currently refreshing a lot of their schools. Uh, this week is the big 12 week. I believe we have Missouri, Kansas, um, some of those, some of those big actual schools that are staying in the big 12 or used to be in the big 12 in the case of Missouri. Um, so if you're a fan of Syracuse, if you're a fan of any team, if you're a fan of just feeling comfortable, uh, head over to home field apparel and make sure to use promo code noons23. The Disloyal Idiots podcast. It's not just a podcast. We do unboxings as well. <laughs> Look, we have to diversify our offerings, Christian, in this ever-evolving media landscape, okay? <laughs> wow, that is the most corporate thing I've seen. Yeah, I was about long. to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man, shoot me now. Uh, anyways... Um, speaking of, I didn't know it was uh, home field that you know corrupted Andy at the ultimate level. Now, yeah, I'm I'm gonna blame my uh, my my day job for that. However, <laughs> if you do want to talk about coach speak and not getting straight answers out of somebody, let's go to our old friend Dino Babers. <laughs> oh yes, uh, we actually had a pretty direct converse, uh quote from Dino this time on probably the biggest situation going into. Spring football camp, uh, they began practice uh, early this week. Um, or it was Wednesday was the first official day of fall camp. So obviously, we'll be having updates on the site. You should be going to Syracuse.com and checking out our friends over there who will be doing updates as well on camp. Uh, but one of the things that Dino Babers was remarkably blunt about is that Garrett Schrader is on a pitch count. Um, so Garrett Schrader had a undisclosed uh, arm shoulder surgery this uh, off season. And it appears that Syracuse would like to ease him back into things. Um, the exact quote uh, from Dino Babers on Garrett. Now we've got to put him on a pitch count. There'll be times when he's going through practice and all of a sudden, boom, he'll be out of practice. 
Hopefully it'll just be us being cautious with him and not anything else. Don't read into that unless you're asking a question directly. I'll tell you right now, if it's an injury, you'll probably know about it. Um, the Schrader spoke a little bit last week and said that the surgery was to quote, fix a chronic issue. Um, it appears as if Schrader has been playing with some pain for some time or some discomfort of some kind for some time. And the hope here is that the arm is strengthened and the arm is more flexible after the surgery. Um, Christian, you and I are both baseball fans. And my first fear was that he had undergone Tommy John surgery. Me too. Uh, it doesn't, but, yeah. uh, the timetable doesn't match that. It doesn't yeah. seem as if it's like that. But the fact that he is on a pitch clock does make me worry that this is not, this was not a minor surgery that he underwent. We know it was his elbow. First of all, we know that. We know that it was his elbow and we know it was on his throwing arm. He didn't practice at all during the spring. He had that pretty hefty cast on it during the spring practices as well. Timeline wise, I'm spitballing here because I don't know too many similar elbows elbow injuries that would keep you out for probably four months i think i know what it is i'm guessing bone spur but that's probably not it no i mean bone spur would be fantastic well would not fantastic for him but like that would be a fantastic guess i think that that does fit the other one it might be is i just remembered that ben roethlisberger in his last in one of the last years he had a very similar looking cyborg brace that schrader was wearing and I was hoping that the Steelers disclosed what it was. And the Steelers never did, but Roethlisberger did. He had to reattach flexor tendons in his throwing elbow that had become detached mm. over time. And it's very similar to Tommy John where they take the tendon, they add new um, new anchors to the bone, and they reattach it. Um, so and he and Roethlisberger was also on a throwing program as part of his rehab and recovery from that. So I think either one of these options would line up with the timeline that we've seen and why Syracuse is being so careful with Schrader, because both of these surgeries require going into a very sensitive part of anybody. Like if you if you or I got this surgery, we would need to go through physical therapy to relearn how to click a mouse, how to type, how to do very basic things with our hands. And we're talking about throwing a football at incredibly hard velocities. <laughs> you know what? This this is going to sound crazy, but probably not crazy at the same time. This might trace back to the Schrader helicopter play. That would make a ton of sense. Because didn't he take the impact on the throwing arm? I don't remember exactly. I'm actually going to look up the video now because I'm very curious where where was he landed uh but i know it was on his back and the it it didn't look great let's put it that way yes and to to make my point just a long story short any this is gonna be very careful how they do this because as we know in baseball Whenever you have an arm injury to a throwing arm, you have to be very careful about how you treat that arm coming back. And so, yes, this makes sense, but there's also the also added caveat of you can't be too careful as well. Uh, yes, uh, I think the biggest thing for me is again listening to my podcast. I listen to them do the ACC preview show, which is how I got on a split zone duo uh, uh, rabbit hole for the weekend. I think that one of the things that we're going to talk about consistently during these the, during these practices and some of the split zone duo group was talking about is that there is a pathway for Syracuse to get to seven or eight wins and break the cycle that Dino has been in where the team takes a step back and then has a huge valley. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't trip down this pathway and end up in a valley. That is very available with this year's schedule. But the schedule is done in such a way that Syracuse can start the year four and oh come out of its worst stretch of the year four and three and have a very winnable back half of the season the problem is is that all of that hinges on garrett schrader's health because what we saw last year and what the and what the split zone doer guys were talking about which is very true 
so much of what makes Syracuse's offense tick, especially last year, early in the year, was that defenses had to respect that Schrader could break contain on a play and run for four or five, six, seven, eight, insert any amount of yardage that's positive on a design pass play. And on when Syracuse is running the the zone option, the zone reads that they're doing, you basically take away one of your best run stuffers to watch Schrader. And it opens up so much more for the offense. And the minute that you can either take away Schrader's ability to throw the ball, which we saw last year, or his ability to run the ball, which we also saw last year, the defense suddenly doesn't have to respect that. And the entire playbook is built around Schrader's versatility. And so when you take away that versatility, the playbook becomes incredibly easy to scout for and prepare against. And we saw that in the back half of the year when even though Schrader was playing, he was remarkably ineffective because defenses didn't respect him either to throw the ball or to run the ball. And uh, so two things. One, I just you know referenced the video. That elbow landed pretty hard. So I wouldn't be surprised if it definitely traced back to that helicopter play back at Mississippi State. Um, the other thing, there's a couple of points I want to make here. One, the other thing that goes along with the scheduling thing is because of that three-game stretch, those are three pretty physical teams. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it's Clemson, Florida State, and UNC. Syracuse plays those three teams back-to-back-to-back to back to back and then has a bye. And what we saw last year was Syracuse had a, a very similar type of brutal stretch of games. It was Clemson, Notre Dame, and Florida State. And what we saw happen is that when you got to the winnable games towards the end of the year, Pitt, Wake Forest, Syracuse didn't have the bodies to play like they did at the beginning of the season. And because of that, Syracuse looked remarkably worse in games that fans probably thought they had a fighting chance in, especially given how the beginning of the season went. And we've already talked a lot this preseason, pre-preseason, about how little depth in terms of proven quality is behind these presumed number one starters. So if Syracuse starts dropping bodies like it has in previous years under Dino Babers, and the Orange now have to, just out of pure necessity, go to those unproven talents in those winnable games, it gets really tricky to see how Syracuse can capitalize on that quote-unquote easier back half of the schedule if they get really banged up during that three-game stretch. And as as we've kind of alluded to a couple of times on this podcast, this will be my final point on this, it's this year and next year that are big points that Syracuse has to start going for it in terms of pushing towards those eight, nine win seasons, because 2025 is a brutal dip back, uh, a brutal dip back to reality, just in terms of what we think schedule lies is going to be a brutal season for Syracuse. Yeah. We've, we've talked about it at first. I was looking this up the other day, just to like, for my own personal Things like this year's non-conference schedule is obviously very good if you're a fan of winning games. Um, Colgate, Western Michigan, at Purdue, Army. Again, most smart people seem to think that Syracuse should go through that stretch four and zero, which is fantastic. Um, next year, a lot of the same thing: Ohio at Army, Holy Cross, UConn at a location to be determined. That will probably be Yankee Stadium. Just warning you all ahead of time. Um, but <laughs> the um, yeah, the 2025 season, uh, we open the season in week zero against Tennessee in Atlanta, Georgia for the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. I will be there um, the next year. Uh, oh, with a game at Notre Dame 2026, a game at Notre Dame. Um, rest of the non-conference schedule is New Hampshire Army UConn. Not too bad. And then 27 starts the Penn State series. <laughs> No, I forgot uh, and, about that. Oh, man. Yeah, 27-28 is Penn State, and 29 is uh, Notre Dame again. So, yeah, there's 
there's a lot happening there, obviously. Um, but trying to bring it, trying to bring us back to this season and specifically to the quarterback room, I do think that one of the more interesting things about this Garrett Schrader pitch count situation is that it means by nature. Dino and the staff have a built-in excuse to try to figure out who their backup quarterback is and what the gap is for uh, between, you know, your starter and your backup. Because I think last year we were all a little surprised at how big of a gap there seemed to be between Carson Del Rio Wilson and Garrett Schrader. Um, I think both of us here are really high on Carson Del Rio Wilson. Carlos. Carlos. Dang. Why did I want to say Carson? Um, You have Steve Carson on your mind? Probably. Um, but <laughs> that is, yeah. Uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson is, is going, to, is somebody who we both have high expectations for, but like just didn't have it last year. And to be frank, it was a tough situation. He's young first year in the program. I totally understand. There's gotta be, a, there's gotta be a big jump, dude. He's got to take a jump during the season. And he, I, hopefully he took a jump during spring ball and we'll to make that jump in, in the fall. But the other thing that's in there, and this was on Emily, um, Emily Likers, uh, 10 things to watch going into the position battles and, and players to watch for the preseason. Go read this whole thing. Uh, I don't know if everybody remembers, but quarterback Brandon Davis uh, transferred in and he had been at the university of South Carolina, a former four-star recruit uh, from Delaware who, had been offered who had not been offered uh, by Syracuse the first time around, but they've added him to the quarterback room. And so having Davis and Del Rio Wilson competing for that backup spot seems like a pretty clear move by the coaching staff to tell Del Rio Wilson, look, you came in as a highly rated transfer we gave you some time to play last year and you clearly were not better than the highly rated transfer that we had who had gotten hurt the first time through. Uh, we're bringing in another highly rated transfer and the three of like Schrader is obviously the starting quarterback. Schrader is obviously going to get hurt at some time this season. Uh, either Davis or Del Rio Wilson is going to be asked to step up. And I would really like to see one of them be the clear number two and close that gap in quality between uh, Schrader and whoever the backup ends up being. At least the exciting thing is for the first time in a while, we actually, we actually have a backup battle instead of a starting battle this time around. Um, I mean, the last time we've had, it was Dungy and DeVito and then DeVito and Schrader. And now we have a, you know, an interesting battle of like guys who are capable backups who have flashes of potential to be a starter. And so that's, and one way that falls into the good problem to have camp for Syracuse. But as you alluded to um, a little bit earlier, the drop-off from Schrader to Del Rio Wilson was massive. And a lot of that was also just due to natural play style. Del Rio Wilson had mobility, but not quite the same mobility that Schrader had. Trader was more intuitive in his ability in his mobility. And while Del Rio Wilson, I think, had to think a lot more in terms of what he wanted to do once he was outside the pocket. And also Del Rio Wilson was just a more natural long ball thrower, where the offense in general last season was built around the short to mid passing game because that's what Schrader's strengths were and still are, I'm assuming, especially now with a reconstructed elbow. So like and just a difference of philosophy wise, the real Wilson wasn't necessarily the best fit for a quarterback of his skill set. So now this also creates an interesting problem for Jason Beck. It's, you know, how it's like, do you, you know, there are some offensive coordinators who will like flip systems completely when a new quarterback comes in and adjust the style of offense, the style of play to that quarterback's strengths. I'm not sure Jason Beck's going to do that or not. It probably more likely is leaning towards the not route, especially when York's Syracuse is expecting Garrett Trader to play all 12 games of the regular season. Us as fans, like Andy said, are expecting Garrett Trader to get hurt at some point and miss some sort of time. So 
it could just end up being between Del Rio Wilson and Davis, not who is the better quarterback, but who is the better quarterback in the system that yeah. Jason Beck wants to run. Because while, like you, you and I, like you said, we're both very high on what talent Del Rio Wilson seems to have. And that was evident in, in just the limited sample size we had last year watching him. Just looking at him, he looks like he's going to have a very high ceiling, especially with that long ball that he has with his arm. However, that's not the right system for how Syracuse played last year. And if we're going off the assumption that Jason Beck is like his teacher in Robert Anae, he's probably not going to change his system if Schrader goes down again. And so if Braden Davis shows that he is going to not only be a guy who's willing to escape the pocket when the offensive line inevitably collapsed from a three-man rush or is going to also be comfortable with a short-to-mid throwing game and find a Rondé Gatson the minute he hits a curl route after going 10 yards downfield, then Davis is a good guy instead of Del Rio Wilson. Yeah, and I think it, it, the only quote that we have about Davis is from Damian Alford, who said that, you know, Davis seems versatile and he's enjoying his time playing with him. You know, nice veteran answer there from a veteran player on the roster. Um, I, I think that hopefully we'll have a good idea about this during the uh, four non-conference games. Colgate is obviously not very good. I would expect Schrader to play very minimally in that game, probably, you know, maybe the first half. And then you let Del Rio Wilson and Davis each take a quarter in the second half if the competition is still close. Western Michigan is another team that is expected to be in the bottom half of the MAC. We've seen Syracuse play good MAC teams pretty non competitively, looking at that Ohio game from a couple years ago with um, Tommy DeVito, where he looked amazing, and it turns out that even though Ohio was a good team, Syracuse was just there's there's a pretty big gap right now between the Power Five and the Group of Five, especially early in the season. Um, and so, if Western Michigan is going to be bad, even if Syracuse is not going to be great, we probably win that one pretty easily. Similar situation there. It's not really until the Purdue game that you need to have your ducks in a row when it comes to okay, who's the first team offense, who's the first team defense. And I think that that gives us an opportunity in September to actually see some of, you know, Del Rio Wilson and Davis in game action, kind of evaluate their decision-making skills, see how comfortable they look behind the offensive lines. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll see some of that stuff in the beginning of the season. Thanks to how kind the schedule is, is set up this year. Um, so that way, we one it gives us something to talk about in those expected blowout games. But as you mentioned, we don't necessarily know if Del Rio Wilson has added mobility to be more factored into his, his overall skill set. We don't know what kind of quarterback Davis really is in the Syracuse system. Getting those questions answered won't just help us out for this year. Um, but could be really instrumental into figuring out which one of these guys, if any of them, uh, enter into the portal this offseason or are expected to take that next step up and replace Schrader once his eligibility runs out at the end of this season. Um, the, the the thing to put a bow on this is just it, you got to be we have Syracuse has to be careful on this also. And by Syracuse, I mean Syracuse fans, because what we've seen from Dino is that for some strange reason, he's also been reluctant to take starters out of blowout games. I remember last year during the Rag Wagner game, the starters played deep into the third quarter. And once the backups came also, it seemed like Syracuse had switched to a more conservative run-out-the-clock uh, play-calling style. And so while, yes, it's great, it's a great way you know, to get the game over with, it's also not a great way to you know evaluate, evaluate your options or what you have against actual opponents who are assuming going to be trying just as hard as you guys, especially when you think about a Colgate or a Western Michigan. Those are guys who maybe on, you know, if whether it's their first team out or second team out, those are guys who are still going to want to prove themselves to their coaching staff for when their important conference games roll around. And so to do something well, even against the twos of a power five school, 
is going to do well in their book. And so Syracuse doesn't give them too much to do in terms of the play with. It's just a waste of time for both teams. And so like that's something that as Syracuse fans, we have to be careful about in terms of our expectations because the decision-making in terms of what you can do in a blowout game is has been questionable at times from the Syracuse coaching staff, especially under Dino Babers. No, you are 100% right there. And I think that it's something that we definitely need to to look out for a little bit more this season. Um, but this is not the only major injury coming out of the first week of camp. Uh, the other major injury is on the other side of the ball. Uh, Stefan Thompson was in a non-contact jersey um, to open the first day of camp. Um, there were four players that were in non-contact jerseys. Again, this is from... Emily Leichler of Syracuse.com, Stefan Thompson, tight end Dan Villari, uh, linebacker Austin Rune, and then walk-on corner Cam Reardon. Uh, Babers said that he, quote, has not been given a timeline and that um, it's uh, most likely that these players are going to have the most action this week when there are no pads or minimal pad work being done next week uh so for everybody who's watching this live or everybody who's watching this on monday you know this week um this week pads go on probably going to see less of these players and any other player who is in a non-contact jersey as pad work uh gets underway and no disrespect to valari no disrespect to austin rune um stefan thompson's not a name we want to see on the injury list and he is a player that the orange have been without since the beginning of 2022. And if they are without him in 2023, I am officially capital W worried, capital C concerned capital, whatever other adjective you would like to use in there uh, for the defense. The good thing, the only, the silver, not good thing, the silver lining that you have on that uh, Thompson injury is that, you do have a backup Sam linebacker who is experienced at least in playing the position, and that's Derek McDonald. Now, McDonald is not the same player as Thompson. That was that was much very evident last year. And they actually play pretty different roles and style of play as well. But the as we talked about the last, as we talked about earlier, the drop-off between the ones and twos this year is drastic. And it's it's walking off a cliff drastic. But in some positions, it's not. And luckily for Syracuse, in the same position where which where Thompson plays, you do have McDonald, who basically played the entire year, or at least two-thirds of it, before he got injured himself, uh, as that backup Sam linebacker. And so you do have experience there. It is going to leave you know, Syracuse without another weapon. And then that's where you have at Syracuse the necessity to rely on that unproven will linebacker that we're expecting Syracuse to trot out someone new there, whether it be McDonald moving over to that will, whether it be Leon Lowry or Anwar Sparrow, who takes over that position as well. So it's not ideal, but it could be worse. Yeah, I'm just concerned because I think one of the things that we're not talking about a ton is that um, the last year we saw a really dynamic defense in terms of players that could make a difference at all three levels. We saw defensive linemen capable of disrupting plays. We saw linebackers capable of disrupting plays and we saw defensive backs capable of disrupting plays. Unfortunately, unless somebody really takes a step up, it appears that the only group of disruptors is coming out of that linebacker core, which isn't bad. As a Steelers fan, I have watched enough football where the linebackers are doing the majority of that work and it can, it can happen. But in order for that to be what Syracuse's defense is, you're going to need to have both Thompson and Wax in there. I, I don't think that you can just have one or the other 
and really expect the defense to be all that disruptive. Um, now they might, you know, be able to bend and not break, but I don't expect them to be able to get by, behind the line of scrimmage and get to the quarterback um, and then, you know, cause those big splash plays that last year really did bail out the defense in a lot of big opportunities and in a lot of big ways. Like that Clemson game comes to mind where the defense was doing so much to disrupt Clemson's timing and at all three levels. And if you don't have that this year, you're going to really rely on the one group that you have to, to do the most work. And Thompson's a big part of that equation. If the defense is going to be a difference maker for the team. And theoretically, well, theoretically this year also, again, we're assuming that there's not going to be a ton of injuries and stuff. Syracuse shouldn't be as undersized on the defensive line as it was in the middle end of the season, which means then that Syracuse won't have to necessarily do all of the stunting that it had to do on the defensive line, that it had to just out of necessity to try and get a good matchup. It could be a more mix in a straight up versus a stunt um, on your rushing which is what allowed Syracuse to be so effective in the first part of the season. And now you have the addition of Terry Lockett and Braylon Ingraham on that defensive line. Um, I say addition to Terry Lockett because he was out for the last two-thirds of the season. You have Terry Lockett back. You bring in Braylon Ingraham. And so theoretically, just having those two guys, you know, that's two near 300 or over 300 pounders to help on that defensive line. And... As we know, the focus of the 3-3-5 defense is the linebackers. And when you have a guy that literally invented the defense coaching those guys, that can only help as well. And so, and especially give, and we talked a lot about high ceiling guys. I'm really high on both Leon Lowry and Anwar Sparrow. And so I don't necessarily think there's going to be as big of a drop-off if Thompson isn't available, because one of those two guys are is is going to pop off. I think this season, it 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 would just be another feather in Syracuse's cap that would strengthen their defense even more. And, and while we also say a lot that you don't necessarily need a defensive line to have production, there has to be something from those guys because what we saw last year, a big reason why also the defense fell off towards the end of the season is that they just couldn't stop the run. And that yep. was a lot because of the undersized backups that came into play. Yep. And so in the first point of contact, there's the defensive line. And so those guys need to step up and help stop the run. And if they can do that well, then you feel really good about this being a very good defense. Even even with Thompson injury or not. I think that we're in for a really fun week this week. It's going to be the first full week of uh, Syracuse uh, camp work. So again, stay tuned to newsmagician.com and to our friends over at Syracuse.com for uh, what should be a really interesting time um, as we are officially in football season as we just did an entire hour-long podcast without bringing up basketball in any way, shape, or form, uh, as God intended. <laughs> so uh, with that, for Christian de Guzman and for myself and for the uh, currently dealing with old man problems, Steve Haller. Uh, we on the are injured the list. On the injured list, he is currently in a non-contact jersey. Hopefully he'll come back. Uh, there is no timetable for his return either, but we hope to see him back here next week. Uh, we are the Disloyal Idiots Podcast, a Fans First Nation podcast. Uh, we appreciate the support. As always, if you are listening to this on your podcast provider of choice, make sure that you like and subscribe and help us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. If you're watching this on our friends at NoonsMedition.com, thank you again for the continued support. We really do appreciate you uh, consuming our content over there. Uh, again, thank you to our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, Noons23, N-U-N-E-S-2-3 at homefieldapparel.com to get 15% off your first order at Homefield Apparel. And as always, uh, happy football season. This is this is when Christian, Steve, myself, and I really begin to cook. We're really excited for, I think, 
this will be the fourth season that we're doing this in some capacity together, um, which is really exciting. I think we're going to do a lot of cool things this year. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you so much. Go orange. Go orange. <laughs>